majority of people don't want to hear anything that can somehow challenge what they grew up with. But I wasn't like that. You know, I would entertain challenge. And I would say to myself, you know what, how do I know that what I believe is really true? Unless I challenge it, unless I examine it, and unless I listen to other ideas, right? And because I had that mentality, it, it naturally evolved into writing it down because I would have debates with people of different religions and, and you can't always get your point across in a verbal sparring session, for example. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to take it away, research, write it down, and present your case in that way after your research. So, so that, that's how it evolved. Everybody has an argument, right? But I'm saying there must be a way to get to the truth that we all have a common ground that we can start from and use that common ground together, reason together, to get to an objective truth, right? And especially when it comes to matters of faith. I mean, I do, I do enjoy challenging uh, beliefs and uh, ideas and, you know, and not just for the sake of challenging them, but if something, you know, there are things about it that don't make sense, then I, I like to raise that and, and discuss it, you know? Yeah. Why do we believe what we believe? Good morning. Good day or good evening, and welcome to 54 Lights. This show is dedicated to celebrating people of African descent. We put a spotlight on the best and the brightest stars from throughout the continent and the sprawling diaspora, all with the intention of reframing the context through which the world sees and appreciates people with African roots. Every once in a while, you come across something profound, an experience that cannot be explained away, cannot be diluted, and certainly cannot be forgotten. Something that's got permanence. It's fair to say that 2020 will go down in the history books as just one of those years. One with permanence. There have been no shortage of trauma, no downturn in crises, nor a break in the havoc. It's been felt in the political arena, to the economic arena, and then of course, healthcare. All of which is culminating to cause a mental health crisis of biblical proportions. In the annals of history, this year won't be a footnote, nor a page in a history book. It will undoubtedly be a full course load, in and unto itself. I'll start by quickly saying that 2020 has taken on even more amplified personal importance. That permanence I spoke of, it did so because I unexpectedly lost my sister and my father in a six-week span earlier in 2020. As you can imagine, the ordeal has had a bit of a dizzying effect on my family, from which we are still recovering. And through that tailspin, I was confronted with questions about faith, 
which is to say that I had my faith tested. I'd often ask the question, why? Why, if there was a God, why would she, he, or it allow such pain to rain down on me personally and my family by extension? Why would this actually be allowed to befall anyone? As I asked that question, that quintessential question of why, it occurred to me that you cannot ask why. Faith, after all, should require blind devotion and unquestioning allegiance. Now, as I grappled with these personal dilemmas, this question of why, it also occurred to me that this isn't a me question. This is by far, in this time, a more widespread and global question. My name is Kendwani Mwase, and the next episode is Keep the Faith. It features a conversation with Stafford Atz. Now, Stafford is a brilliant mind. He's analytical and meticulous. He's mindful and thoughtful. He's a clinical technician whose range of knowledge spans from pew to pugilism. He wears many hats, entrepreneur being one of them, where he's co-founded Neil Sweet and Ice Ice Cream. He's a data analyst working at one of Canada's big five banks and has even started to sprawl into the creative world where he's an actor and most notably a writer. As I've grown to know him, I found that he's a creative analyst who's motivated by a relentless pursuit of the truth. He seems to approach his life and everything in it with a tenacious curiosity and a refreshingly open perspective. Now, regardless of whether you agree with his position in this book or not, what's compelling is the process that he went through to get there. But I'll let you be the judge. It's time. Here, in part, is our conversation. My full name is Stafford Richard Lloyd Atts, right? So in terms of um, the Atts, my last name, um, you know, it's been a bit of a debate, but uh, what we've traced it to is German origins. And apparently the original uh, spelling of the name was A-T-Z. Um, and for some reason over the years, it's evolved to A-T-T-Z-S. And interesting fact, the combination of my first and last name um, I don't think anyone else on the planet has it, that combination, right? You're kidding <laughs> exactly. me. Seriously, because um, I actually checked, I actually uh, challenged somebody to find somebody else with that name and because they, they didn't believe me. And then they, they did some Google and some research and stuff. And they said, yeah, I found someone. I said, oh, yeah, tell me. And they said, this, this person has written boxing articles. So it's definitely not you. I said, that's, that's actually me. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> My second question was going to be, how many Staffords do you know, actually? You know, I'm, I sh I su there's nobody I know, but I've met about three other Staffords. Oh, you have? Oh, yeah. cool. And uh, what, yeah. what are their backgrounds? Are they as well, they got like a European, a German? Um, to be honest with you, um, one, let me just see, one was Caribbean, okay. I think Jamaican. 
Another one was um, European of some sort. Actually, I think it's just two now that I think about it. Because the last person had a last name Stafford, so it doesn't count. No, um, no So you more, you're more often to hear the last name Stafford than the first name. Interesting, interesting. So, yeah. so I, I have to, you know, I, I want to double down on the name and, and the origins of your name and sort of your, your um, Caribbean roots. Yes. Um, but before I go there, the Richard and the Lloyd, are they ever the ones that you go by? And where do those come from? Is that, is that a dog fight between your mom and your dad? And they just like... <laughs> so, so Lloyd, so my mom is one of 12 children, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she's third in the order. Lloyd was first as her elder brother, and he tragically died when he was like 31. Mm. And he died like a couple of years before I was born, actually. So that's, that's where I get that name from. Um, and then Richard is the name of her grandfather on her mother's side, her maternal grandfather. Oh, that's amazing. So, so that's where you, those names come from. Do you ever go by those names, or is it never really happens? No, it never really happens. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Which is unusual, because... Uh, you know, my, my background is Trinidad, and I guess I'm jumping the gun, you probably would ask me that after, but, um, and in Trinidad, the culture is a lot of people go by their middle names, right? So they have like a house name, which is usually the middle name, mm-hmm. and they have the official name that went on their passport or at work or what have you, which is the first name. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my, my wife's Caribbean, and it's the same thing. She goes by her middle name, and I, I sort of never really understood that, but I never asked if it was more prevalent in the uh, Caribbean yeah. community. Yeah, it is. Do you know why that is? Yeah, I don't know the origins of that culture, actually. It's, it's interesting. Hmm. I have a lot of cousins that actually go by their, I know them by their middle name. Wow, interesting. Yeah. So you, your background, heritage, lineage goes to Trinidad, correct? That's correct, yeah, but on both sides. Can you tell me where you were before you arrived in Canada? Yeah, so I was born and raised in the UK, London specifically. My parents had moved to uh, Great Britain in 1963. Well, actually, my father moved there slightly earlier, 61, and then my mom joined him in 63. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've lived, they had lived there ever since. I was born and raised in the UK. Went to, went to school there, went to university there. I actually came to Canada um, after university, and... Um, that's been my experience. So yes, um, so England is really where I was born and raised. Okay. So, so when, uh, when you uh, when when the World Cup rolls around, obviously post COVID, um, and the English team is 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 made it in, or the the Trinity team is made it in, who who do you cheer for? Now that is a good question. I love the question. Um, <laughs> so if they, my heart is with the Trinity team. Okay, mm-hmm. I will say that, but. If England plays Trinidad, I tend to root for England only because they have a better chance of winning it all (laughs) than Trinidad does. You know what I mean? So it's almost like if England loses in an upset, Trinidad is not going to do much better after that. It's just a lucky win, you know? That's kind of like my logic behind it. But my heart is always with Trinidad, I guess. Okay, I got one better for you, and then I'll stop on this, this, this random tangent. If you were recruited to play on mm-hmm. on both of these teams but in the in the uh, the england team or the english team you were going to be a substitute whereas on the trini team you were going to be a star which where, where are you going which 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 team are you going to hand in the passport for <laughs> that is a great question so you are 
an actor. Uh, you are obviously a writer who's put put yourself out there, and then you also were involved in family business. And then you have what I, I I'm not too sure about the, the the day job, but can you can you just tell me how many hats are there? Because I'm getting confused here. <laughs> yeah, well, so my day job I I um I work in analytics uh, for one of the major banks, um, and I've always worked in an analytic capacity and certainly for the last 15 years or so I was previously with uh, McKinsey and Company as an analytics specialist and I've always enjoyed basically analyzing data um, turning data into information and that sort of thing so that's that's my day job um, but as, as, as mentioned my, my passion is in writing mm -hmm. I particularly like philo philosophical pieces I like to think a lot I like to understand uh, the origins of the universe, so to speak, you know, what's happening and why and when and how and that kind of thing. I've always been interested in that. Um, and so a lot of my passion for writing is because I have all this information in my head, things I've pondered over the years. And I felt, you know, I don't want to just leave it in my head. I, I need to write it down. You know, I need to expand upon it um, and communicate what I've discovered in my own, you know, journey kind of thing. You know? So writing is definitely my passion. Um, where the acting comes in is that uh, uh, initially I really just wanted to make a film. And again, it's similar to the writing in that I want to communicate my ideas to a wider audience and I wanted to do it through film and I still do. Um, and acting was almost a segue into making it into the film industry. It was easier to do that than just to go to a film making course because you need to be full time to really do that. And obviously with, uh, with my full time job, it was difficult to do that. Whereas in acting, you can do that um, more flexibly, right? In, in a more flexible way. So, um, so that's why acting has been um, something that I've done and I've actually enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's, it's actually a lot of fun. Um, and I, wanna, I would like to do more of that going forward. Um, but, but really, yeah, I'll say, uh, you know, those are, those are my hats. And then obviously writing um, both in terms of novels, in terms of books, like mainly nonfiction, but also I've, as I mentioned, I touched on before, I've enjoyed writing in terms of sports as well, you know? Right, right uh, exactly. The, yeah. the pugilist article that was found for your, your uh, other namesake, Stafford. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, and, 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 you know, just maybe double click on the analytics part of you. You're an analyst at heart, and analytics is one that is, is, lends itself to curiosity, to uncovering. Um, you know, uncovering things, which I think makes sense. Yeah. What, 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 what gap I'm trying to bridge, though, is the leap you took to then expression. Where, where does that come from? Yeah, actually, believe it or not, the writing part of me came first, believe it or not. Oh. So the, the creative part of me was always there. It was there from a young age, really. Um, the analytics part, which complements it for the reasons that you mentioned, it happened along my journey in my career, really. I mean, it started off in university. I did IT and business information systems. So I was already in that sort of world uh, with data, data and information and that type of thing. And so it, it, it just lent itself into my career. And I found every job that I enjoyed the most was really in turning data into information and, chur and churning data and, and doing whatever I can with data just to see what it's telling me what are the trends and analysis and things like that. I really enjoyed that aspect of my work. So that's, uh, so my career really developed that way, but the, the, the creative side of me with the writing, that was always in me. I mean, I've had that from a young age, right? 
the need to write my thoughts down started when I was about, uh, I would say, 15. Okay. Yeah. And 15. what precipitated that since we're there? What precipitated that? So that actually started uh, mainly because of religion, right? Mm. So I, I grew up um, in a very much a Christian household, um, you know, going to church every Sunday, you know, that was the background uh, um, for my parents. And um, when I got to a certain point, I was, I was never one to just accept what I believe just blindly. I, I always had to question it, challenge it. It had to make sense. So anyway, kind of a very long story short, I remember being approached by, you know, people from different religions over the years that would, some that would knock on your door and, you know, tell you about their religion, others that you just meet in university or in school or wherever the case may be. And um, they would challenge you as to why do you believe what you believe and how, how do you prove that what you believe is true? And that challenge, most people, some people get a challenge like that and they just don't want to hear it. The majority of people don't want to hear anything that can somehow challenge what they grew up with. But I wasn't like that. You know, I would entertain the challenge. And I would say to myself, you know what, how do I know that what I believe is really true? Unless I challenge it, unless I examine it, and unless I listen to other ideas, right? And because I had that mentality, it, it naturally evolved into writing it down because I would have debates with people of different religions and, and you can't always get your point across in a verbal sparring session, for example. So sometimes you have to take it away, research, write it down, and present your case in that way after your research. So, so that that's how it evolved, you know, into into where I like to write my thoughts down and, and communicate that way. I love that explanation, and now I'm starting to weave together the different threads of your personality, and it's starting to make sense. Um, yeah. I'm curious as well, though. So. At a relatively young age, I mean, that 15 is, is not old at all, um, but you are, so you are challenging your own religion, you are challenging other religions, and you are having discussions about faith. Your parents at that time, what is their reaction to this level of curiosity? Yeah, they were stunned, actually. I mean, um, so... My my mom didn't say much, even though she was the more religious of the two, you can say. But she found it interesting that I was willing to to engage in these kind of conversations, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my dad felt that it was unnecessary. Like, he, he sort of frowned upon it in a way. Like, he said, you know, why bother? People believe what they believe. Why are you trying to convince them otherwise? Why are you trying to, you know, it's not, he, he had a philosophy of um, there's certain things you don't discuss, and one of them is religion. He said religion, yeah. politics, um, and he said gender. There's three topics are taboo. Don't discuss them, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so he, he was he was mildly against it, you can say, right? But at the same time, he recognized that I had this passion, I had this um, drive to do it. So, you know, he didn't discourage it at the same he time. He didn't right? get in the way, but he didn't necessarily no, he didn't. endorse it. That, exactly. Got it. Got it. Exactly. So as you're going through here and, and, and start to tackle, obviously, religion, Christianity, which is, which is no small uh, feat, no small mountain to, 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 to overcome, unpack, and understand. Mm -hmm. The book is called The Narrow Path That Few Will Find. That's right. And it, it is 
an examination exploration of the evolution of Christianity, correct? That's right. So how did you arrive at the moment where you were saying, I'm going to write a book about this because I've had this many, this many jousts about it, I guess. Yeah. So it's based on a long journey of discovery, shall we say. Okay. Personal discovery. discovery, Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I grew up in church, but then certain beliefs when challenged on them, I realized that certain beliefs weren't actually, you couldn't, you couldn't find them in scripture, you know? So then I realized that, um, a lot of things that we were believing in church um, were basically traditions handed down that people after over time don't realize are just handed down traditions that somebody came up with at some point they thought it was a great idea something they saw and then, and then suddenly everybody accepts it as 100% truth without questioning and I realized that a lot of things that we see in a daily in the, in the church as a whole um, were not founded on anything biblically and people didn't even know that right and we just follow and we assume it's biblical right and i mean an obvious example for is um let's say christmas everybody assumes that i mean not everybody but obviously there's a lot of people that know otherwise but a lot of people assume that christ was born on december 25th Mm -hmm. um and they almost think it's in the bible when it's not right um so that's just an example, but like I saw many examples, that's just an obvious one, but so many examples, not so obvious, that a lot of the beliefs that we have and have always had are not founded in scripture at all. In fact, some of them don't make any sense at all. And we just accept it blindly because we're almost bullied into accepting these beliefs because it is suggested that if you don't believe it, you're not a Christian and therefore you're doomed or whatever the case may be, right? So anyway, when I started to realize that, I said to myself, you know what? There's a scripture that says, let God be true and every man a liar, right? And based on that premise, one day I decided to, to say to myself in, in a prayer almost saying that, um, you know, I'm going to reject everything that I currently believe. I'm going to come empty and read the Bible for myself. And whatever it tells me, that's what I believe. Without any previous, I'm going to let go of all previous indoctrination, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what, what led me that journey so I mentioned about when I was younger, people knock on the door. So like Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Knock on the door and they'll challenge my faith and they'll, you know, and you know, some, they had some good arguments and certain things. It caused me to have to really dig deep and understand uh, where are they making sense? Where are they not making sense? And, and, you know, really, really examine everything because I came to the conclusion that if there's any group out there that I think are in error, by the same token, I could be in error without realizing it, you know? So, I had to then challenge everything I believed and it had to make sense consistently throughout scripture. Right. Right. And so the writing started, I had a friendly sort of correspondence with a Jehovah's witness gentleman and we would debate certain doctrines um, from the identity of Christ to the existence of hell or whatever other doctrines that we had in disagreement. Mm -hmm. And, Back and forth, he'll present his case, I'll present my case. It was a lot of fun. We did it for many years, you know. And that's how it started, you know. And did, it then, remain, did it remain jovial? I'm, I'm curious. It did, funny enough. But, you know, obviously, um, in doing that, even though I, I was never convinced of the Jehovah's Witness position, I began to realize that my position was also incorrect. 
you see, what I've realized in life is that sometimes the truth lies in the middle. And my, my position was one extreme. That position was another extreme, but the truth was somewhere in the middle of those two extremes, right? Mm-hmm. And I began to realize that there's certain elements of truth on both sides, but how do you marry them together to get to the real understanding, you know? And I think that's basically what you see reflected in the book. Because what, what I'm saying in the book, really, is that there has to be an objective way to get to truth um, that is a way to circumvent any kind of argument. or Because everybody has a clever argument for any position, right? Yeah, so I find it fascinating, your journey. And it definitely, um, you know, I've, I've only started, started the book. So I, I, I must confess, I haven't gotten as deep into it. But now with this background, it makes me want to uh, really dive in even more. Uh, I think where I'm, I'm at is to say, you are dissecting very objectively mm. something which feels to me that is wrapped up in emotion. How are you looking at something objectively which is, has such a subjective wrapper on it? So, so explain the subjective wrapper that you mean and the emotion. Yeah, so I because um, yeah. I, I think when it comes to questions of faith, the religion, there is this kind of like what your father was saying is, is that, or I don't know if this is what your father was saying, but, but what I'm saying is to say there is, there comes a level where people stop looking at the, uh, some people stop looking at the text and the, um, the, the sort of the literal interpretation of things. And mm-hmm. they, and they sort of say, no, you know what, I, I, I will believe X. And part of me being a good Christian, for an example, is that I will believe this. Right. And, and that, the underlying discussion there sometimes isn't really grounded in objectivity. It's kind of grounded in an emotional, it's, it's grounded in an emotional attachment to say, because I'm a good Christian, I will believe this without sort of looking at the math of it, if, you, if that's the right I know word. exactly what you mean, yeah. So yeah. I, addressed, I addressed that in the book, definitely, right? Mm-hmm. So I said that, well, basically my position is that there are two different types of people, and, that, and you've covered that. There are people, which the majority of people are, which are, they are comfortable in what they believe, mm-hmm. and almost nothing you say will, they, ref, they will refuse to accept anything other than what they're comfortable believing, right? And then you get the few people that are willing to let the facts speak for themselves, even if it means that they change their position. And in the book, what I'm saying is that I think if you are being honest with yourself and sincere, and if you think logically about um, religion and faith and God, you realize that the only way you can get to the truth is if you gotta first have a love for the truth. And if you have a love for the truth, then you're gonna let the facts that you see alter your way of thinking instead of trying to use information and pass it through a filter that discards anything that is against what you currently believe. And most people, that's what they do, right? Mm-hmm. They get information, and if it's not in accordance with what they currently believe, <laughs> yeah. they would somehow transform it into what they believe without it making any sense, right? right. Now, I'll give you an example, and this is a very controversial um, point. Um, but for example, the, 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 the central church doctrine, I would say, is the Trinity doctrine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And most Christians 
automatically believe the Trinity. If you even dare to challenge it, I mean, that's like the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and, you Where know, are you I, going with this man. Where are you going with this? Exactly. Right. <laughs> so, so an example of that is that any thinking person could look at that doctrine because the Dutch, and, and, you know, I will just spell out what a doctrine is. It's three persons in one God. Um, the official doctrine. So um, we have three persons. Each one is distinct from each other. Each one claims to be God, but yet you only have one God. And people accept this doctrine blindly, even though they know it doesn't make logical sense. Mm -hmm. But then what people say is, well, it's God, so it doesn't have to be logical. And they just, it's just a mystery, just accept it, right? And if you break down why it doesn't make sense, nobody wants to hear it. They'll somehow make that fit into their doctrine somehow, right? Um, and that's, a, that's sort of a prime example where instead of breaking it out and saying, well, how could that possibly work? Because you see, and what I tell people is that, for example, just because we're dealing with God doesn't mean that you can go against logic because something illogical is by nature a contradiction and therefore it is a lie, right? So an example of that would be if, we, if we're talking about God, we say, well, if God can do everything, because that's what people come back and say, well, God can be anything he wants. He can do anything. I said, well, if that's the case, can God kill himself? But then at that point, people, you know, they realize, hmm, well, maybe he can't kill himself, <laughs> right? Because he's immortal. And so then you start realizing that, you know, even God is bound by something has to be logical. You know what I mean? He cannot be part of a contradiction. So anyway, so that's an example of um, where I've challenged my beliefs before and said, you know, what? Um, can, you know, can I just accept something because we're supposed to accept it? Or does it have to make sense to me before I accept it? You know, and, mm -hmm. and it has to be, the Bible has to confirm it at every point for me to accept it. So anyway, that was, a, that was a journey that I had just on that particular doctrine as well. And a large part of the book is devoted to the explanation of Jesus and how he is God, but without being part of a trinity. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so now you've, you've just really piqued my interest. And I won't, I won't ask you to spoil the ending, I suppose. That's right. <laughs> read the book people and now i now it's funny i want to actually buy it for a few different people in my in my circle my loved ones but yeah um there there is a term that kind of came out in doing a little bit of the research of the book and i like i said I've, I've only sort of scratched the surface which is this concept of gradualism yes so you know can you can you explain to me what that is and what that represents yeah, so I think many people have heard of the analogy of the frog in the beaker, where if you have a if you have a beaker of hot water and you throw a frog in there, it's going to jump out because of the heat. Mm -hmm. But if you put him in warm water, he's going to be comfortable, and then you gradually boil it before he realizes he's in danger. He's yeah. dead. He's cooked. Right. Yeah. So what I realize is that gradualism is the way in which truth is corrupted over time without people even realizing it. And so you get to an end result that is so different from the first result, but you didn't even know how you got there because it was a gradual steps over time that go unnoticed. And I realized that that is the tool to destroy truth because you can't just say, for example, right? Um, 
I'm trying to think of an analogy that, that, that isn't silly. Um, okay, it sounds a little silly, but let's just say you're supposed to wear, a woman is supposed to wear a skirt down to her ankles. Let's just say, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And say that that's the rule. You, you must wear a skirt down to your ankles. Now, if, you, if somebody suddenly put on a mini skirt, everybody that had the rule of down to your ankles, they immediately say, no, that's wrong. You can't wear a mini skirt, yeah. right? Because we know, right? But if, but if you gradually shorten the length of the skirts by an inch every 10 years, yeah. by the time you get some miniskirt, nobody's realized. Yeah. Right? And that's what's happened to Christianity over the years. And I dare say many other religions and, and yeah. uh, as well. That, that was going to be my next question about that. Now, I, I, I want to come back to gradualism, but what you're describing is uh, or, or cannot be um, only applied to Christianity, right? That, that's something that's right. that it's the institution of religion. That's right. And even outside of religion, you know, <laughs> it, it, it comes in many forms. If you look at, um, say, how society's evolved right now in terms of from more conservative thinking, um, maybe in the 50s to bit of liberation in the 60s and you keep going to where we are now is completely the other extreme where basically every institution is challenged you know um everything is is more about the non-conformist nowadays whereas before it was just about the conformist you know yeah. so you find that gradualism has changed our way of thinking to we're extremely um like left Mm -hmm. um, and how does that happen? It doesn't happen overnight. It's little bit by little bit before we forget the reason why we made certain changes in the first place or, or what have you, right? So, it's, uh, so it could be applied across the board. Sorry, continue. Yeah. I was going to say, has anybody uh, argued with you to say that this, this phenomenon of gradualism, and I think both, both of your analogies work really, really well. Um, I, I think I've heard the toad one, but I, I really like it anyways, mm -hmm. how you, you phrased it. But um, my question is, is, has anybody sort of parlayed back to you or parried back to you the thought that gradualism is actually progressive, right? So gradualism, when it, through the lens of the church, let's say, is actually a way of the church evolving for good, where you're, you're leaning that this is a, a degradation, Whereas, has anybody argued that this is just an evolution from a progressive perspective? So that is a very good question. I'm glad you brought that up. So I don't think that all evolution is bad. In fact, most times it is good, right? Because progression is important. Right. And without progression, well, we just stay stagnant. We never, we never progress, basically, right? Yeah. right. Um, so in most cases, I value progression. Um, when it comes to religion, Progression is always a bad thing because the, the concept of religion and faith is that you believe in a God that doesn't change, right? Because you're believing in a God that is from the end to the beginning. Therefore, he's a constant. Therefore, he doesn't change like a man changes. That's the concept, right? And if you're in a case like that, his rules mustn't change. They mustn't be um, affected by the change in times, by people, by mm -hmm. culture, his rules are his rules and they must, they must stay, they must be resolute for all time, right? Um, you know, the church would always become, like the, the Bible says that um, Christians are supposed to be peculiar people, 
in that they stand out, in that they are sort of outcasts almost among society. And that's because they, they follow a culture, a belief system that society may have left behind and may change over time, but they're not supposed to, right? So that's why the church mustn't fall under the, um, under the illusion that it's okay to change to meet society because you have a choice. You either meet society or you meet God, you know, you can't, you can't serve two masters in that sense. Right. right. So that's why I, for me, when I see the church evolving from its original position, that evolution could only be a bad thing. It can never be a good thing. Now we're, and we're talking more in terms of doctrine. Now in terms of, um, you know, you could evolve in terms of like back in the day, maybe a church was just in somebody's house and now you build these big buildings or something. Nothing like that. Those kind of things is okay. Yeah. 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 But in terms of doctrine, doctrine mustn't evolve. How yeah. many, how many religious leaders have you, <laughs> have you had these uh, debates with? I'm this is just curious. Well, no, no top like major televangelists or anything like that. No, no, yeah, but just even... Yeah, but, um, but yeah. definitely a, a few pastors, quite a few pastors, uh, I'd say, you know, 20, 30 pastors I've had debates with. Wow. Things like this. And then also in terms of um, other religions, leaders in other religions, I've had debates with them on that as well, yeah. right? On different issues. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I like to talk to people. When I'm really talking about these things, I like to talk to like pastors and leaders Mm-hmm. And people like that, really, because they affect many people in terms of their belief system. And, they've, and de- they've devoted their life to it, so they understand. That's right. One would assume they've understood to a deeper level than sort of, quote unquote, the common man or woman, uh, the choices that they've made to, for that devotion. Exactly. How long does it take to, to write a book like this? considering the the what you're tackling considering what you are looking at yeah for me it took about three or four years to be honest with you i mean partly with the distractions of life uh, mm-hmm. slowing down because you know um but but also in terms of you know making sure that i'm communicating clearly um exactly what's in my head you know uh, so that other people could understand where i'm coming from you know and making it as um, robust as possible, you know, cover all possible, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, angles is not. Yeah, angles, people disagree with. Rebuttals, rebuttals, oh, yeah. Okay. That's what I meant. So, so cover all possible rebuttals um, to my work and to, to my thoughts. And any questions that people may have, not just rebuttals, but, you know, I may explain something and somebody says, well, what about, why this why that so i try to get into the mind that i was in before i really discovered some of these revelations and ask the questions that i would have asked and then answer those questions so the book has a lot of that where i'm predicting the questions that will come and responding to those straight away you know what was mm. the driving factor then behind the behind the title yeah so with the narrow path that you will find what i what i believe is that the truth, by virtue of being the truth, is is very um, it's very small compared with the with error, right? You can have many lies, but truth is singular, you know. 
Um, because lies are not necessarily outright lies. They're basically perversions of the truth. Right. And there can be a multitude of those. But if you, if you want the truth, and if you find the truth, by virtue of it being true, it's very hard to find. And it's very singular. Now, it can be found, but only from people that are earnestly seeking it. Because I really believe that anybody that really wants to find out stuff, anything, doesn't have to be religion, they will find it. But you have to want to find it, right? But the majority of people, like I said before, do not want to find the truth. They may say they do, but they want to stick with what they believe. Right. Yeah, I've got, I've got to ask you a question about that. So when I interpreted yeah. that title, yeah. uh, and I hope this makes sense as a question, is mm. the title more um, um, through the lens and prism of the truth or those seeking the truth? Because when I look at that title, I think, oh, it's a narrow path because few will actually walk the path versus it is a narrow thing in and of itself. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's, it's a narrow path that few will actually find and then walk on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So in other words, few will actually find the path to walk on to yeah. get to the truth. Because to get to the truth, the, it's, it's very easy and it's also very difficult. The easy part of it is to get to the truth. You have to love the truth and want the truth yeah. at all costs, at any cost. Yeah. I will get to the what truth. it illuminates. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like I'm willing to sacrifice what I currently believe in my current customs in search of the truth. Once you have that mentality, then what I'm, what I'm trying to do in the book is in, from a Christian lens, what is a common ground that we all have? Because it doesn't matter what faith you have within the multitude of uh, faiths in, under Christendom, as I call it, right? One thing we all have in common, there are certain things we all have in common. We believe that... Um, in the 66 books in the Bible, we believe that um, the book of Acts represents the very first church, right? Mm -hmm. And then logically, anybody that's a thinking person will, will agree that the first church would be the pure church because it's first. Mm -hmm. that it's, it's the one that started everything. So, any corruption happens over time, but in the beginning, whatever was there is pure. So let's start there and see where we line up with what we see there, you know? So it's, it's almost like the, the path is simple, but you've got to want to walk it. Is this going to be, you know, part one of a series of books, whether you're looking at other religions, whether you're looking at other things, like are, are, you, are you on this path to write other books in this ilk? Absolutely. And you know, like, um, and it won't always be Bible based either, right? Mm -hmm. It's searching for truth even outside of the Bible. Right, right. And this is what I'm catching from this discussion, really, more That's than, right. more, more than a, a, a religious uh, That's right. a conversation. It's more about the methodology and that, that perspective. That's right. The way I put it is I want to uncover the secrets of the universe. You know, I want to know why everything is and, and what and how and like on every level scientific philosophical you name it right i just want to understand what's happening and where and how and how does it, how does it all fit together and so um definitely other books i'm writing right now um like i'm also interested in you know um just general concepts of um 
say political concepts comparing mm-hmm. capitalism with communism <laughs> as i mentioned liberalism with conservatism oh, understanding yeah. like like every every concept right feminism every ism that you could think of What is your favorite sport and why? It is boxing. Okay. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Now, I think, you know, they call boxing the sweet science. And I feel that um, it has so many elements to it. Like, there's a, you know, most people see boxing as just barbarism, just brutal fighting, but there's a science to it, you know, that I really admire. You know, you see a person like Floyd Mayweather, who everybody knows, and, you know, he's mastered the art of hitting and not getting hit. And I like to see how it plays out in the ring, you know. Um, and, and I think, and there's nothing, there's, in my opinion, there's no event in sport that captures the imagination like a, a heavyweight world title fight, you know? I mean, you know, you look back in history, the events that you think about are the big fights with Muhammad Ali or the big fights with Tyson or whatever, right? Because, you see, the thing with boxing and the other sport I like as well is track and field it's for the same reason. Um, they are the purest form of sport because they, they basically mirror man's basic survival instincts, fight or flight, you know? And I think most other sports are really, you know, extensions, you have rackets, you have balls, you have this and that, but with those sports are just the pure, when when you're a caveman, the competition that you had is who runs the fastest and Do you prefer to teach or to learn? Um, I prefer to learn. Well, you know, I, obviously I like to learn. I like to know as much as possible. I want to keep learning the rest of my life. You're going to retire. Are you retiring in Canada, Trinidad, or England? Canada. So there you have it. The conversation continues. Part of our show was recorded and produced at Simplified Studios, the soundstage and auditory office of Speech Simplified. Music for this episode was composed, played, and enjoyed with permission by Andy Ninval and Joachim Nortebert. I'd like to thank Stafford Atz undoubtedly one of a kind, and my guest for today. Thank you, sir, for walking me and our audience through your book and your journey. Since our interview, I've managed to pick up your book on Amazon and am deep into your prose. If you like what you've heard, there's more. Upcoming shows will feature interviews from some of the world's finest legal minds, an inspirational and an aspiring culinary entrepreneur. And in the not-too-distant future, we'll have some conversations with art-loving entrepreneurs from my homeland, Malawi. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss any of these inspiring upcoming episodes. And remember, you can find us wherever you do your listening. That's iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many, many more. 
And if you enjoy a little social sprinkled in with your experience, please follow us on Twitter and or Instagram under our handle, Crowd54. Listen, like, share. Once again, I'm your host, Kandwani Mwase. It's been a pleasure being with you today. Until we meet again. Thanks for listening.